Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2002. I was still a vice president at Ketchum Public Relations, but at the time, I was considering what it'd be like to freelance. So I had some clients that my SVP had sent my way to do media training, but I also toyed around with individual clients. If you've been listening, you'll know that Alilia Bundles, the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker, was one of those clients. The other was Valerie Burton. Of course, she's now 12-time author, New York Times bestseller, bestseller, life coach, etc., etc. There was one other person that I came in contact with. And mind you, all three of these people came to me in some shape, form, or fashion through NABJ. Torre. At the time, he was writing for magazines like Rolling Stone, like Vibe, and he hadn't broken onto the scene on MSNBC just yet. But in writing circles, he was known very well. He was attuned to culture, and his pen was razor sharp. Torre had heard that I was branching out on my own and approached me about my public relations services. I remember us batting emails back and forth for a bit, but nothing transpired. Fast forward to the summer of 2017. Torre had blown up. (laughs) He'd been on MSNBC. I'd seen him on CNN. Everybody knows who Torre is. I went to my favorite restaurant in New Orleans, Louisiana during Essence Festival. And I was going to meet my former employee, Heather Woodard. She hadn't arrived just yet. She was depending on a friend to get her there. But in the meantime, guess who walks into the gumbo shop? Torre. I was planning to be back in New Orleans within a month to speak at the National Association of Black Journalists Convention. Tori and I caught up while we waited for our seats. And he also expressed an interest in speaking at the NABJ. So I connected him by email later on with the planners. But this would be the encounter that would put myself and Tori back in touch. Fast forward to Just about a month ago, Torre and I reconnected again, this time to ask him to be on the podcast because I noticed that he'd started another business. Torre is a book coach. Torre supports writers in their goals to author books in the big leagues. In other words, He helps them to conceptualize, plan the proposal, 
work through each of the steps, even seeking agents, working with big publishing houses, the works. I was so excited to find out he was doing this. His timing was impeccable. Little did he know that beginning last year, I started my journey towards publishing my first book. I'd been to New York City at least twice to meet with a rather large publishing house. It really is amazing how God brings people into your path at just the right time. In this conversation that I had with Torrey about coming on the show, I asked him, would he be my book coach? And he agreed. As a part of his book coaching business, he's launching a second podcast, not the very wildly popular The Torrey Show, but another one just for writers called Free MFA. For those of you outside of academia, that is free Masters of Fine Arts. Originally, I'd planned for the second show to focus on unnetworking, but because of the nature and the awesomeness of this next guest, we're going to push that until July. Everyone, meet Torre, my friend, author of multiple books, book coach, and television host, and a man who is absolutely wicked with the pen. Everybody, I have the incomparable Torre here. He is a journalist. At the end of the day, all roads lead to the writer in him, but you've also seen him on MSNBC. You've seen him on CNN. You've yep. seen his byline at Rolling Stone. Vibe? Where else? Uh, New York Times, New Yorker, Tennis Magazine. In all kinds of places, Just doing everywhere. a lot for Afro punk nowadays. So, yeah. oh, wow, that's awesome! So I am, I am just pleased and thankful that Tori agreed to come on the Culture Soup, the Coaching Corner, because Thank he you. has something very special that's about to happen. He's yep. going to launch a new podcast. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, I got a new podcast coming out. It's called Free MFA, where I talk to writers about issues that writers care about. Uh, you know, writer's block how to start the piece, how to work with details, the sort of things that you learn in an MFA program. And I was mm-hmm. in Columbia University's program about 25 years ago. And you don't have to go to an MFA program to become a writer. It's not like you have to go to medical school to become a doctor, but it does help. And they do tell you a lot of things that are of value. So I'm trying to pass along some of the things that I learned. Um, I mean, really, the two main techniques that they use in a MFA program mm-hmm. are, number one, giving you great writer's work and deconstructing it. The professor will walk you through, this is what Joan Didion or George Orwell or Ralph Ellison or Toni Morrison is doing mm-hmm. in this essay or in this paragraph. And, like, look at this word and look at how it relates to that word and look at this choice here. And so you really understand sort of the writer's mind as they're creating. That's number one. And that's sort of the main thing that I'm doing on the show. Yeah. Number two, the number two main technique that they use in MFA programs to teach you how to be a better writer is the crit, right? The critique, where you mm-hmm. write a lot and you give it to the other students and the professor, and they read it and they write it and they write about it and they write notes all over it and they rip your piece up. And yeah. that I cannot 
uh, replicate on the podcast, but yeah. I'm, I have, a, I have a, a book coaching service. You can oh, go nice. to Torrey, torreybookcoach.com or you can email me, bookcoach at torrey.com. And, you know, I can work with you on your project, on your book or what have you, and I can be that person who lovingly but hardcore rips up your stuff <laughs> and helps you become a better writer because that yeah. is critical to becoming a better writer, having a more experienced writer read your thing and go through it and rip it up in a way that helps you see how to take it to another level. Well, you know what, Tori, I'm encouraged. Because I'm a writer, too. I, of course, I haven't written for Rolling Stone. But, <laughs> you know, what? I did not know that you had an MFA background. You know, I'm an English major, liberal mm -hmm. arts, writing mm -hmm. emphasis. So you're singing my song here. Good. <laughs> you know, a lot of journalists have the hardcore, you know, I went to journalism, went to J school and all sure. that. My master's is a master of science in media studies, which is more of a theoretical understanding of the discourse between people and brands. So sure. it, it never was just hardcore journalism. I just I just started writing and okay. learned the skill. But, you know, more and more people are trying to learn how to write books. You know, now more than ever, you can self-publish and it's not as expensive as it has been in the past. It's yep. easy. Amazon, Barnes and Nobles allows you to just upload the thing and, you know, they have book cover design artist on on tap for you but then yep. there's still a group of people that are like you know what i really would like to pitch my book to a publisher so will yeah. you cover off on that too well i uh yeah i mean i cover all of that i mean like I, what i want to talk about in the show mm -hmm. really is issues around writing and what's going gotcha. on when you're sitting in the chair with the pen mm -hmm. in your hand uh you know and, or, or typing it in i still write everything by hand even my books are wow. first written on a legal pad by hand. I get a wow. lot, yeah, I get a lot out of writing it out and seeing it as it's coming together on a page. And then when I type it in, it, it, there's a change as it goes from the pad to oh. the computer. So that's mm -hmm. a level of editing. And then I read mm -hmm. it on the computer and that's another level of editing. But I get a wow. lot out of seeing it in different mediums. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think eventually I'll focus on those sort of issues, but I really want to talk about writer issues. But if gotcha. you come to me um, to engage me as a book coach, I will help you with, with everything, with mm -hmm. the writing of the piece, with the strategy of how to approach the industry in terms mm -hmm. of meeting an agent, dealing with an editor, uh, promotion strategies when it comes to finally pushing the book out to the world. So I will be your friend who you need, like the best friend your book ever had, yeah. is sort of every aspect of getting this thing out. I follow you on Instagram. Thank and you. it's because I'm a fan of the Tory Show. By Thank the way, everybody has another podcast, just a tiny one where like little people come on. No, they're huge people, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, you had Neil Long good. on. We had Neil Long on recently. She was lovely, and she spoke a lot about John Singleton yeah. and missing him mm -hmm. and going to the funeral and just loving him throughout her life. And even, like, you know, her first audition for Boys in the Hood, and wow. she's sitting off in the corner, and some guy comes over, and he's like, what are you doing? And, like, the, the Hood defensive girl came out and was like, who wants to know? And he's like, well, I'm the director, John Singleton. And she's like, oh, I'm not oh. getting this job now. But they talked, and he liked her, and obviously yeah. she ended up getting the job. But she was super candid and open. And uh, after her, we had Jamel Hill. And next week, uh, 
Well, it, we're, you know, we, we just had uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries on the show oh, talking wow. about impeaching Trump and yeah. criminal justice reform and those sort of things. So, you know, we're getting great guests. That's awesome. So, y'all, don't forget the Tory show. Tune into that. But I saw on your Instagram where you post about the Tory show some mm -hmm. tips that you were giving around writer's block. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you want to share mm -hmm. some of those? Sure. Well, you know, part of what I think about writer's block for some people is that you are afraid of a certain person reading the piece. You may be mm. afraid of the subject or your mother or your friend or other writers or fans of the subject or who. There's probably somebody concrete and real who you can say, I am nervous about that person or these people reading the piece. And part of what I talk about is trying to know yourself, to really know who that person is. And once you know who that person is, you can start to grapple with it. You may be able to call that person and talk to them and allay your fears, but that may be impossible. And so I sort of came up with this exercise that writers can do to try to combat that, that you have to really sort of meditate on who that person is. And when you really know who that person is, you put that person in mind, and then you get a piece of paper and you cut out five strips of paper. And mm -hmm. on each rectangle of little piece of paper, mm -hmm. you, you, you write the F word, right? Can we curse on this show? <laughs> F them. <laughs> uh, can, you write, can we curse on this show or not? Yeah, really? we, well, okay. yeah. Okay, so you, write, so you write the word <laughs> on each of these little pieces of paper. Yeah. And then you go into the bathroom and one by one, you put each of these pieces of paper into the toilet and you flush it and you watch them go away. And, you then, you go to the, and then you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you see the person who is blocking you from writing. Yes. And you say, I'm sorry, mom, but I can't give a <laughs> because I'm all out. And then you go back and you write your shit. I love it. Hey, listen, you know what? That reminds me of an exercise that I've given to some of my coaching uh, clients. You know, I'm an executive and business coach. And typically, usually what's stopping you from crushing your goals is a fear of something. And yep. many times... Those people that you think are you're afraid of, some of them can't even name them. And we, yeah. we've done them fuzzy people. They don't even have faces. They right. don't even have names, right? But right. you do have to do that exercise where you put their name on a piece of paper, wad it up, and throw it away. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's you blocking you. You're yeah. saying, I'm not good enough. This isn't good enough. But you know what? Take it easy on yourself. You know, mm -hmm. you ever try to make a cake and then, like, you know, it wants to bake for 30 minutes or whatever? If you pull it out after 10 minutes, it's going to be disgusting, right? Yeah. You have to give yourself that time and space and love to let it grow, to enjoy the searching process, right? Like if you're a cook, you love the cooking process, right? right? Many writers do not enjoy the writing process. <laughs> they find it agonizing. It's the not searching. glamorous. No, the searching, the crossing out, the struggling to get the sentence right. To get, I want people to find a way to love the searching and the struggle. Mm -hmm. Because when you are tense and struggling, it's harder. When yeah. you are relaxed and enjoying, hey, it's a struggle, it's a journey, but I enjoy the journey, uh, then you can, find, you can be more relaxed, and I find you can use your mind more easily, you can make better choices. to do that is great content and your, your curls are still popping. 
No, it looked terrible. <laughs> this, little, this little window, I'm like, ah. But one way to do that is to write and create great content. And I mean, so it's a skill you need. Yeah, and you know, people need to keep in mind that a book is the beginning of, of something. It's the beginning of a conversation with the audience. It's an investment in yourself. Because quite often, if you write a book, if you write a book about the right subject, uh, it will engage other people. People will call you to write articles. They may consider you for a job. They may call you to do a speech. Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely books that I've done that I got more money doing speeches after it was published than I got for the book itself. Right. So, you know, this is a product that will help. I mean, look, even if people don't read your book, they will think, wow, Michelle you wrote a book. book. <laughs> she must be smart, right? right? So, you know, so, I mean, you know, just putting out a book uh, that just communicates to people, I know something. I figured something out, and I'm sharing this, and there are other people who are saying, yes, your book should exist. That's very powerful for you. So what came first for you, chicken and egg? Were you writing for magazines and, and, and such before you wrote the book, your first book, or vice versa? Were you doing it all oh. at the same time? Oh, no, no. I was a magazine writer for several years, many years, uh, until I, I couldn't conceive of writing something that long. I was not, I was not ready to write something that <laughs> right. long. And then finally... Uh, my friend Nelson George, who's been super close to me for two, three decades, said to me, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, enough with the articles, write a book. I and quoted I like, him in my master's thesis, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's so, yeah. he's so uh, you know, and so I was like, okay, all right. And then, you know, so I wrote a book of short stories. Yeah. And then after that, he was like, write a whole book like that begins and, and like not like pieces of a book give me a narrative yeah and like he kept being that that sort of avuncular nudge who'd be like okay you can go to the next level like yeah. let's do it and so he sort of helped kept nudging me up the chain um, well did you and, ever look at your body of work because this is how i slipped into it i knew i had books in me but I'm speaking first. I didn't have a, a lot of time to write, but Black Enterprise comes to me and says, please contribute. So I started thinking, okay, I'll do it this way. Everything I speak on, I'll write about, right? Have a nap. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I, I amassed this body of work. And before I knew it, I had enough for at least two books. Mm -hmm. So I started to, you know, clump them into buckets, if you will, and start mm -hmm. to see where I could develop books out of them. Did that happen mm -hmm. to you at all? Did you ever consider looking at your body of work and saying, Oh, gee, that's a book. I haven't quite done it like that, but that mm -hmm. is a great strategy and, mm -hmm. a, and a fantastic way of doing it. For me, it has come more from um, what is a, uh, when I get a big question that yeah. I think will be of interest to other people mm -hmm. that I don't quite know the answer to, but I am willing to spend years figuring out the answer to the question, that's a book. Yeah. So I remember when uh, Barack Obama was elected and Black political scientists were shocked. Black social scientists were shocked. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, everybody I've been studying... was in shock. Everybody was in shock. It was not, it was, we were not like, oh, the country is ready for a black president. Even after Iowa, people were like, yeah. really? We're, we we're didn't see him ready. coming. No. So I wanted to do a book on what does it mean to be black now? Have I missed it? Have, mm -hmm. have things changed from what I was taught when I was growing up? Uh, you know, where are we now? So that became a big question that I thought others would, uh, would want answered. And I'm like, I'm happy to spend two or three years exploring that question. Yeah. Um, while I was doing that book, 
I went, I interviewed 105 black people to get their answers, to try to, you know, get some research. One of them was Skip Gates. And he said, well, why don't you come him. back? <laughs> Love him. Yes. He said, why don't you come back and do, uh, you know, our Du Bois lectures at Harvard. It's three lectures over three days about whatever you want around culture. Oh, and I said, him. okay. And I started thinking about what could I do? And I started wait, thinking, wait, stop. You said, okay, that calmly, like, to go and take over his class and lecture, it's like, I would have fainted. Well, it was more than just his class. It was several <laughs> hundred people that you would lecture for. But, but still. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I, it, I'm definitely the sort of person who would say yes and then later be like, oh, shit, what did I just agree to? Oh, my yeah. God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I wanted to create a big question. And so I started thinking about Prince and how much I love him mm. and why he was so important to my generation, to Generation X. Yeah. And when I thought of that and like, could I spend two or three years really focused on deconstructing Prince songs and listening to them over and over and Heck digging yeah. through the catalog and talking? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. All day, all that night. great. So <laughs> that began that exploration of what is the relationship to Prince, between Prince and Generation X. Because mm. um, we were teenagers totally. um, when he started to explode. We were the mm -hmm. core music-buying audience when he started to explode with Purple Rain and these sort of things. Yeah. So I wanted to explore his career. So when I had a big question, um, you know, I'm working on a book now about infidelity. And mm -hmm. the question was, why do married men screw around? Yeah. And, a, and consistent study, studies over several decades have shown about 20 to 25% of married men screwing around, about 15 to 20% of married women screwing around. But, but we find that when you include emotional affairs, which may just be kissing or may not oh, be yeah. physical at all, mm -hmm. women are cheating. Nowadays, all women are cheating <laughs> as much as men. Okay? Yeah, so I believe it. It's universally reviled and yet practiced universally by a significant segment. of. So a lot of people are saying they don't like it, but then they're doing it. Um, yeah. But I wanted to get at the why. And why married men screw around is a big question that I was willing to spend years exploring and talking to people about. And so I'm like, you know, this is a great question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, part of the thing is that a writer has to be has to be able to write about a lot of different things, um, and especially coming up as a freelance writer in my twenties, and able to have to be able to have lots of gigs constantly. Mm -hmm. I had to have lots of things that I was willing and able to talk about. So I'm able to talk about music. I'm able to talk about tennis. I'm able to talk about different things. I mean, quite often. I really want to be talking about black culture and black mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. in a complex way that helps you see how deep and real and human we are. And yeah. whether they be musicians, athletes, politicians, whatever. I remember, I remember like some early stories I saw in Rolling Stone on different people, uh, different black people who I cared about. And I felt like the story did not 
portrayed them with the level of complexity that I saw them with. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do, and sometimes, you know, we can extend that also to black people that we don't expect the complexity of our heroes or our people um, as we should, for example. Isn't that the truth? I once interviewed, I was going to interview Plies, right, the Florida rapper, mm -hmm. for Fuse, and I put out on Twitter, I'm interviewing Plies tomorrow, you know, what questions should I ask him? And I just said, you know, serious questions only, because I didn't want all the joke questions, yeah. I don't have time for that. And people mocked the notion of serious questions for Plies, which mm. only put the battery in my pack yeah. even more of like, I'm going to show you what taking an artist seriously looks like. Yeah. And respect applies, but in his music, he does not show himself to be as intelligent as he really is. Yeah. And I go into all these interviews with rappers and whoever, assuming and expecting them to be intelligent, and quite often that pulls them into more intelligence, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the questions that I came up with was because he had done a concert six, six eight months before that where he pointed out a girl in the audience and said, I'm going to send you to college. And it was like, wow. whoa. Like, so first... Where did, did really that come from? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Did you, did you... Now, if you take him as a serious, real person and not as some image, yeah. then you're going to do serious... A real person said, I'm really going to pay $80,000 or whatever for you. Why did that happen? Yeah. So I asked him, did it really happen? Mm -hmm. And did you really send her to college? And he said, yes, I really did. Mm -hmm. And we talked about where she went. And then I said, why did you do that? And he said that he'd been around his grandmother and she'd seen all the chains and the rings. And she was like, well, that's nice, but what are you doing with your money to help other people? Oh. And so he did it to honor his grandmother mm -hmm. and her, her thing that you got to be helping somebody else. You can't just be out here shining with all your money. Good for and grandma. <laughs> good for grandma yeah. and good for him for yeah. listening to her and honoring what she mm -hmm. said. And it became a real moment of talking to a real person about something they really did and not just... How do you feel when your album goes platinum? Like, yeah. but no, this is a, you know, so I felt like I really honored the moment with a serious question for him. That's not like, well, what do you think of the Nobel Peace Prize? No, this is his life, something he really did. So that's part of what I've tried, I've yeah. always tried to do. Well, you know, back to that idea of the big question, I literally, I think I've adopted you as my writing coach and my book coach in my brain. Good. Because the Let's other day, um, something happened to me personally that, you know, I've been exploring the idea of authenticity for a while now, almost two years, and talked to a lot Good. of people about it. I've written about it, but I have discovered that it could probably be a book. And it's based on what you just said. You were like, you find that one question that you want to explore. Well, this one insight came to me just from a personal thing that happened. And that was that authenticity can be your armor. And I was like, you know what? I can explore that. Like, Authentic authenticity is this, it's that, but it being your armor has to do with being in a room or a space or an experience with someone who absolutely is not, but you may mm -hmm. not know it. So the authentic mm -hmm. person typically does not, but as you're interacting with that person, it chips away at the fakery, right? But you don't realize mm. it. You may not always realize it. And that person either has to become more real with you or they have to run. Hey, and you it's know, like, wow, a, that's like bulletproof. A great point about what you're saying mm -hmm. is that if you're being authentic and somebody does not accept you, well, hey, this is who I am. 
I yeah. can't do anything else. I can't be. Now, if you're, if you're outside of yourself, if you're not being your real self and someone's rejecting that, that to me would be more hurtful, yeah. right? I put on this mask and you've rejected it. If you're not digging my authentic self, yeah. then we are just not for each other. Right. And that's just, you know, what can I do? Because I can't be anything else. Totally, totally, totally. So then I started to think, well, it also makes you bulletproof. If you are authentic, there's not much that people can say, oh, gee, I'm going to pull up this on you. Well, right. Well, why is that news? Because it's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, right. I started thinking about authenticity in a different way other than just, okay, you show up to work as your most authentic self. There's more to this term, and I am so interested in it. So I'm like, that could be book number two. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an important subject. Mm -hmm. You're interested in wrestling with it for two or three years, because yeah. usually it's going to take you two or three years to do a book. Um, and it's something that other people will be interested in. Right. So, I, you know, I think that would be a good idea. Totally. Like, in this age of fakery where, you know, even to get a news story, you have to wonder, who's the source? Is this true? You know, is it fake news? Is it the Russians? You know, all of this good stuff. We are searching for things that are real. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, I think I'll dig into it. Good luck. Well, Tori, I really appreciate your time today. I think we have learned a lot, too. I hope and so. learned a lot about you. So, Good. everybody, Free MFA actually airs when? Free MFA premiered June 11th, so you can find it anywhere fine podcasts are streamed. Awesome. And then the Torre show is on all the time. And it drops what night? Okay. Comes Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Okay. Torre, where can we find you online? Torre, uh, at Twitter, at Torre, and Instagram, at Torre Show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Torre. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you Monday. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. What an amazing conversation with Torre. Listen, we'll be back the second Tuesday in July. We'll be talking about networking, and we'll make sure that we have our live laser coaching. Listen, that offer still stands. If you want to do a live laser coaching on the Culture Soup podcast, that's a 20, 15 to 20 minute session with me where we hack your goals right here on the air, then drop me an email at coaching at lmichellesmith.com. This is the Culture Soup podcast, the coaching corner and you can find us online at the culture soup on instagram and twitter at the culture soup podcast on facebook we even have a facebook group y'all it's called the coaching corner look for it and sign up coming up day after tomorrow on thursday we have mr alfred edmund jr from black enterprise he'll be on to talk about black enterprise forward as you know, I am an official business coach. We'll be in Charlotte the week of June 19th through the 22nd. And I'll be on tap on the 20th and the 21st to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with small business owners. I can't wait to meet you all. But Alfred will be on to talk about all that's coming up at Black Enterprise Forward in Charlotte. I hope to see you out there. Until next time. Culture Soup Podcast is a production of 
No silos communication.